<laughs> because by the we way, we've gone so far off the rails. I, I mean, know. we are not even two minutes into this. <laughs> In fact, I can't even see the train tracks. That's how far off the rails we are, Dana. <laughs> Damn it, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by Dan Calzaretta. How's it going, Dan? Hey, Dana. Going great tonight. I am drinking a beer from a local brewery that is quite good. I'm going to enjoy not only our conversation, but this uh, this excellent beer. What a great way to spend an evening, having a beer and talking about Star Trek. There are probably some ways where it could be better, but this is pretty darn good. Sometimes you got to take what life gives you. That's exactly right, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we dive into the conscience of the king, I wanted to mention we did get a few emails uh, a few comments from uh, the last two episodes we did, which was the Menagerie Parts 1 and 2. Again, had some positive comments. Uh, we have not not really received any negative comments that I'm aware of. Have you seen anything, Dan? Only in person, where people see me on the street and they hurl epithets in my direction. But mm-hmm. other than that, no. A couple of the comments thought uh, we did a good job of working our way through the episode, uh, kind of back and forth between timelines. And then we did have an email from a a fan in Austria. Yeah, that's fantastic. We are heard worldwide. Well, Dana, it is called the World Wide Web, after all. <laughs> Does anyone even call it that anymore? Uh, you know, I haven't heard that in a long time. I haven't either. In fact, I heard a commercial today where they said, contact us at HTTP colon backslash backslash. And then they gave the internet address. <laughs> and I was like, are you in 1990? Am I traveling wow. through time? When you just said that, I was kind of like, World Wide Web, what's that mean? Anyway, she said that uh, she loves the podcast, eagerly listening to uh, each episode. Did have a couple suggestions for us, and we're going to try to incorporate some of that into tonight's episode. Were any of the suggestions, Dana, for us to stop? No. Did say I will continue to listen to your podcast, whatever you do. That's great. And that was uh, Ursula, I believe. Is that right? Yes, Ursula. Shout out to Ursula. Thank you, Ursula. Thank you very much. This is the conscience of the king. Another uh, nod to Shakespeare here. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, not only is the title a nod to Shakespeare, but there are Shakespeare plays incorporated into the actual episode itself. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah. Macbeth and Hamlet. As an aside, Dana, I love Shakespeare. Every year I go to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which is an amazing event. I think the plays are just fantastic. The Denver Center for the Performing Arts does uh, at least one Shakespeare play a year, I believe it is. And uh, they usually do a pretty good job. So again, the conscience of the king. We start the episode with a shining knife held in the air. Uh, We see a bearded older man move the knife down towards another man who's apparently asleep and the man groans apparently, uh, we assume, stabbed. We see the older man pull the knife up again and the knife and his hands are covered in blood. He walks over through a doorway and then we cut over to Kirk and his friend Tom Layton watching and we realize they're watching a play. And the play, of course, is Macbeth. Back on the stage, the actor is approached by a woman and the actor speaks the line, All great Neptune's ocean, wash this blood clean from my hands. Which is an amazing line, and it fits in so well with this uh, with this whole episode. The man next to Kirk, uh, that's uh, Tom Layton, uh, says to Kirk, Don't you recognize that voice? It's Kodos, the executioner. And then we kind of zoom in on Kirk and we see that he's got a very concerned, disturbed look about him as he studies the people on the stage. And that's how this episode begins. So it has this bit of 
drama right off the bat. So Dana, Macbeth was written in about 1606. Star Trek takes place in the 23rd century, which would be the 2200s. That's only 200 years from now. It's amazing to me the longevity of Shakespeare. I have no doubt that 200 years from now, people will still be performing Shakespeare. Well, I agree. I see no reason why that shouldn't continue on. The the works are universal. And and Dana, and timeless too, right? Yes, exactly. As we see in Star Trek VI, the Klingons take credit for Shakespeare's work. Oh, I forgot about that. We are talking about the human experience, and I think Shakespeare does an amazing job at conveying that. Next, we see the uh, Enterprise orbiting planet Q. Kirk is... Uh, explaining that they came there believing that the planet has a way of producing food for the starving on Cigna Minor. Okay, Dana, the, the uh, name of this planet is stupid. Just dumb. Planet Q Yeah, Cigna Minor? Yeah, yeah, no, no, Planet Q. It's just, come on, it's a yeah. letter. You know, they've come across so many planets, and uh, it's kind of like hurricanes. You know, they just stop finding ways to name them. Okay, so hold on a second. Yeah. If we're going with that theory, we've got like, <laughs> there's only 26 planets then, Dana, that they can name. Wait, is there 20? Are there 26 26? Letters? I think there are 26 letters. Oh, 26 in the letters, yeah. Right. So but then they, then they can go like a planet A, B, planet A, C. Well, that's even dumber. I mean, come on. <laughs> Why couldn't it be named, I don't know, use the letter Q. Fine. You want to use Q. It could be planet Quickie, planet <laughs> Quizno. It could be the sandwich planet, planet Quiznos. It could be... I don't know. What other words begin with Q? Quack. Quack. It could be quack. It could be quark. There's others, I'm sure. Quicksand. Yeah. <laughs> Quicksand. Wait, yeah, that's right. That is a Q. Okay. Planet Q. Anyway, dumb name. Dumb name for a planet. I think it's the dumbest planet name in all of Star Trek. Back on planet Q, Kirk is arguing with his friend Tom that Kodos is dead. They discuss that Kodos was the man who killed 4,000 colonists on Earth Colony Tarsus IV back in 2246. Kirk uh, pretty much says, you know, you're crazy. I don't want to talk about it. And then he says that uh, he invites Kirk to a cocktail party that he's throwing for the acting troupe. Kirk kind of just walks off, doesn't really answer him. Back on the ship, Kirk is doing some research. And he sees that he uh, pulls up uh, a log on Kodos. They say Kodos died 20 years before. Information on Anton Caridian. Director and star of Traveling Company of Actors, sponsored by Galactic Cultural Exchange Project. Give information on actor Caridian prior to Kodos' death. No information available, Anton Caridian, prior to 20 years ago. I thought it was interesting that Anton Caridian is the leader of the traveling theater group for the Galactic Cultural Exchange. Made me think that in the 23rd century, they're not getting enough culture. But it's kind of like the USO, where the, the USO performs for troops overseas. That's kind of how I saw this. I just thought it was interesting that there was such an organization to keep culture going in the 23rd century. Kirk pulls up pictures of Kodos and then Anton Caridian. Of course, uh, Caridian is much older, but there is kind of a vague similarity. Spot enters the room where Kirk is. Kirk says, You know Dr. Layton, don't you? Would you say he's given to fantasy? A good empirical research scientist. Steady, reputable, occasionally brilliant. With a very long memory. I have no information on that, Captain. We are ready to leave orbit. We'll delay departure for a time. I'm beaming back down to the planet again. So back on Planet Q, Kirk attends the party that Dr. Layton was throwing for the acting troupe, and he turns and sees Lenore, who is one of the actors. He's obviously attracted to her, practically blushes when he sees her. He looks like a schoolboy. And he goes to her and welcomes her to the party, 
and she asks if he's the welcoming committee. And Kirk very kind of sheepishly says, why not? Does he know at this point that Lenore is the daughter of Anton Caridian? I'm guessing he had to have because he's trying to figure out if he can get close to Caridian and what better way to do it than through his daughter. Based on kind of the timeline they gave in the show, she was about 19 years old, Dana. He is hitting on a 19-year-old. Yeah, so he's he's a 40-year-old hitting on a 19-year-old. And he's, you know, just being super sweet. Lenora tells him that her father never attends parties or meets people privately. And Kirk says he'll talk to his daughter instead. And then he just starts working the Kirk charm all the more. It's just odd. I, I was, it's like almost uncomfortable because he's like a schoolboy. Yeah, that's all I could think of is the way he's acting. Here's the other thing about the cocktail party. Did you hear the music in the background? Yeah. Go back and listen to that music. It is a jazz version of the Star Trek theme. I do remember his jazz. Oh, you're right. It was. Yeah. And, Pretty uh, cool, actually. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's, I like that. So Kirk and Lenore continue chatting, and that's, they're obviously flirting with one another. Kirk convinces her to leave with him, and they go for a walk on the planet, which looks kind of desolate. <laughs> so maybe that's why they named it Planet Q, because, you know, it's like, who wants to even name it? They're talking, and they're just about to kiss when Kirk sees a body over by the rocks. Of course he, he does. Right. Interrupts <laughs> it. It's Corpus Interruptus. Kirk runs over, and it's Kirk's friend, Tom Layton. Kirk says he's dead. So it's not McCoy that says it. And here's the other thing, Dana. He says he's dead, but he didn't check a pulse. He didn't even like see if he was breathing. He just says he's dead. We discussed this before in another episode. Kirk has seen a lot of death. <laughs> and I think he just knows somebody when they're dead. You know, taking a pulse takes more time. He wants to get back to Lenore. It's too bad Leighton was killed off this early. I thought he was an interesting character. Yeah, I agree. I thought he was interesting, and I thought he could provide some interesting backstory to the characters. Next, we see Kirk talking to Leighton's wife, and he promises that he will find out who killed her husband. Now, we gotta say... The husband's on the couch. Like, did Kirk drag him in and throw him on the couch and cover (laughs) him with a blanket? I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, really. So Kirk calls up to his old friend, uh, John Daly, uh, the captain of the Astral Queen. The Astral Queen is the ship that brought the acting troupe to Planet Q. Kirk basically says he'll take care of the actors and Daly is to leave orbit. They're old friends and uh, Daly says, you know, anything for you, Jim. You've done so much for me. Kirk says, uh, let's keep this between us. Back on the Enterprise... Kirk in the uh, captain's chair, Spock says uh, that they're ready to go. And Kirk says, well, let's wait a few minutes. I think we're about to pick up something. Spock asks, cargo, people? Next thing we know, Lenore Caridian beams up and Kirk invites her to the bridge. Spock seems very concerned about Kirk's knowledge that this woman was going to be beamed. So Spock knows nothing about this. And Spock is like confused, isn't he? I mean, he's visibly confused. Yeah, and concerned. Lenore comes on the bridge. She's flirting again with Kirk. And uh, she tells him that they've lost their ride. And then uh, Kirk's kind of like, oh, that's too bad. Wish there was something I could do. Then Lenore offers a trade. And she offers a special performance for the crew in exchange for transportation. Okay, I got to I gotta interrupt you for a second, Dana. <laughs> because she says, I'll make a bargain with you, Captain. And Kirk says, what have you got to trade? Again, Dana, it's Kirk doing the whole Kirk thing. 
Yeah, he was working it. So as uh, Lenore is leaving the bridge, he goes to get on the turbo lift. And as she does, Yeoman Rand is getting off of the uh, turbo lift. And Rand kind of gives Lenore a look, kind of disapproving. Yeah, like, what are you doing with my captain? This was actually the last episode filmed with uh, Grace Lee Whitney, Yeoman Rand. Right after Lenore leaves the bridge, Kirk tells Spock to set a course for the Benicia colony. Spock says the colony will take them eight light years off their course. Kirk replies to Spock rather curtly. My memory needs refreshing, Mr. Spock. I'll ask you for it. In the meantime, follow my orders. I love that line, Dana. I've never, I don't ever remember Kirk speaking kind of harshly to Spock. He did it in a previous episode, but he apologized. In this episode, he's spoken to Spock a couple of times in this tone, has not apologized anywhere in the episode. Kirk goes over to the science station and asks the computer for data regarding the personnel file. Computer relays that there are nine actual eyewitnesses who can identify Kodos. Computer states Kirk's name, Layton's name, and then a couple of others, and then says Riley. Kirk asks if that's Star Service Lieutenant Kevin Riley. The computer confirms this is Riley on their ship. I love this character of Riley, Dana. I really wish that they would have had him in more episodes. He was in a previous episode that we discussed, wasn't he? Yeah, I think it was uh, The Naked Time. Yeah, the naked, that's right. The naked time where he was singing and people were trying to get him to shut up. That was a great episode. And he locked himself in engineering. Yeah, that's the one. And so what's Kirk do? He takes him off the helm and sends him back to engineering. <laughs> so, <laughs> which then would, you know, seem to indicate we might be getting some more singing from Riley. <laughs> Or shutting the whole ship down again, because now he's not happy. That's right. He turned the whole thing off, didn't he? Yeah. Kirk asked Spock to transfer Riley down to engineering. And Spock asks why and states that Riley is a fine young officer and he may consider this a demotion. Kirk, again, is uh, pretty short with Spock, saying he doesn't wish to discuss it and asks that Spock please follow his orders. What's next is my favorite part of this whole episode. Spock is in talking to McCoy. And McCoy appears to just be sitting there drinking Sarian brandy. Yeah, you know, I'm off duty, I suppose. I'm just going to (laughs) get totally... What do you think they would call it in the 23rd century, Dana? I mean, we call it... Today we call it, well, shit-faced. What do you think they would say? I'm going to get asteroid blasted. I don't, I don't know. That's oh, a, asteroid? What did you say? That's, asteroid that's blasted? That That's yeah. great. I love that. Yeah, he's he's getting <laughs> asteroid blasted. I love that, Dana. That's a great term. So uh, Spock's complaining about Captain Kirk's behavior. McCoy states that the chain of command is often a noose. To Spock, the man on top walks along his street. The chain of command is often a noose. Spare me your philosophical metaphors, doctor. Dana, this is one of my favorite quotes from the show. What a great line. Yeah, I agree. I just thought that would... And it sums it up pretty well, really. Spock asks uh, McCoy if he's noticed the captain acting strangely. McCoy just responds negative. McCoy offers Spock a drink, and Spock replies, My father's race was spared the dubious benefits of alcohol. Now I know why they were conquered. This actually is my favorite line. Not the previous one, which was until (laughs) this line. I thought that was great, what McCoy said. I did not know the Vulcans were ever conquered. 
I didn't know that either. So Dana, you were so, just saying that Spock said that his father's race was spared the quote, dubious effects of alcohol. What dubious effects? We've never experienced this. Uh, <laughs> no. I can't, I can't imagine what, it, what they'd be talking about. But if that's the case, I would not want to be a Vulcan. Spock says it is illogical for the captain to bring the players aboard. McCoy says, and here's another great line. The logical, did you get a look at that little Juliet? That's a pretty exciting little creature. My God. Adds, Once again, Dana, <laughs> there's just no words. We're 13 episodes in. We've talked about this many times. No words, Dana. And then he adds, of course, your personal chemistry would prevent you from seeing that. Did it ever occur to you he simply might like the girl? And Spock says, it did, but I dismissed it. Spock points out that Kirk transferred Riley to engineering, and McCoy states he's the captain and can transfer people anywhere he wants. He then pours himself some more of the brandy and says, if you won't join me, Please don't disapprove him. Next, we see Kirk is giving Lenore a tour of the ship. They walk on to the observation deck. They continue their little flirting ways, and Lenore says, All this power surging and throbbing, yet under control. All right, stop. You like stop, that, Captain? Stop. Stop. <laughs> this is this is so blatant. This is and I made a note. There's no props or makeup here, but that line is loaded with innuendo. Okay, first off, I can't say, Dana, that I'm a hundred percent sure about this statement. My guess is that the word throbbing has never been used before or since in any episode of Star Trek. Have you ever heard the and word throbbing in any other context? <laughs> On regular television, not <laughs> internet potential, you know, you'd only want to use incognito mode. Have you heard the word throbbing, Dana? No. Again, I think this was something that they put in to try to get past the censors. I'm trying to uh, think about yeah. if my wife has ever said the word throbbing. I, I'm sure with you, she said she's had a throbbing head. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> At this point, Kirk looks like he can barely contain himself. He moves towards her. They start making out. Yeah, throbbingly. Back on the bridge, Spock looks worried. He asks the computer for dossiers on Kirk, Leighton, Riley, and Anton Kuridian. Next, we see Spock and McCoy walking the halls. Uh, Spock explains what happened with Governor Kodos. A food shortage caused Kodos to declare martial law and begin to separate people, killing some immediately. Spock says he had his own theory of eugenics. Spock explains that Captain Kirk was one of the, the eyewitnesses who saw Kodos. With the exception of Kirk and Riley, there are no living eyewitnesses. And that wherever this acting company has been, someone who could identify Kodos has died. Next, we go to uh, Riley in engineering. He's all alone. He's got a tray of food next to him. And uh, he calls up to the rec room where we see Uhura is playing the Vulcan lute. Now, Dana, the food, we got to say, is this cubed stuff again. And a glass of milk. I mean, maybe this is Gorn uh, milk. Do you want to try to milk a Gorn? I, I don't, so. personally. But, you know, how do you milk an almond? I mean, there's almond milk. Riley asks Uhura to play him a song, a love song. So Uhura sings a song. And Riley seems a little bit more relaxed listening to uh, her sing. So while we're watching, Riley's kind of becoming more relaxed. There's a dark shadow that kind of moves through the engineering room. And then a hand reaches in with a spray bottle and sprays something into stop, Riley's milk. Stop, okay. <laughs> the spray bottle. <laughs> it is a hand that reaches right in front of the camera and squirts a few things. Now, if any of all of us have used spray bottles, right, Dana? I mean, every listener has used a spray bottle. Those things aren't quiet. That thing would be totally loud. But just the way it was done, I was laughing out loud when I saw that. 
Yeah, I I thought there was better ways they could have done that. Yeah, like uh, an eyedropper, something a little more Shakespearean, but a spray bottle. Riley drinks the milk, and while he's still listening to uh, Uhura, he starts choking and he calls for help. You can see Uhura and the other people in the rec room are concerned, and so the call for help was answered. And then next thing we see is uh, Riley's in sickbay. McCoy is standing over him. He says he's not sure he can pull Riley through. Spock is there, and Spock says he has to, otherwise the captain will be the only one left who can identify Kodos. Later, we see McCoy at his desk when uh, Spock walks in. McCoy is reading his findings and says Riley has a high dose of Tetra Lubisol. Spock says Riley was poisoned, and McCoy says it could have been a mistake as Tetra Lubisol is sprayed everywhere on the ship. Spock insists that the captain see the report. McCoy says, when I'm done, and Spock says, now. In Kirk's quarters, a doorbell rings, and Kirk uh, presses a button and says, come. So Spock and McCoy both walk into Kirk's quarters. McCoy says, Riley should make it. Spock adds, and we predict the same with you. Kirk asks Spock to explain his comment. He gives his opinion about Riley being poisoned. He adds that he checked the ship's computer, just as the captain had, and has the same information. Kirk becomes quite testy that Spock is meddling in his personal affairs. McCoy tries to stand up for Spock, and Kirk says he knows what Spock is doing, and he doesn't like it. McCoy responds, it's his job. And at this point, Kirk softens a little bit. Spock says, Coridian is Kodos. Kirk says he cannot be that certain. McCoy asks, What if you decide he is Kodos? What then? Do you play God, carry his head through the corridors in triumph? That won't bring back the dead, Jim. No, but they may rest easier. So later we see Spock and Kirk still in uh, Kirk's quarters, and they're talking about Kirk's safety when they start to hear a humming sound, which Kirk identifies as a phaser on overload. Yeah, this this part was another scene, Dana, that I was kind of dubious about, especially when they just start throwing stuff all over the place. Uh, Spock is throwing clothes. They're not able to find this thing, right? Yeah, and uh, I had the same response. I thought it was kind of funny that uh, Spock goes over to uh, Kirk's dresser and just starts opening up the drawers and throwing clothes out. Right. And then Kirk tells Spock to uh, clear the deck and that he'll find the phaser. And Spock goes out in the hallway and we see him giving orders to clear the area. And then uh, as Kirk's looking, he's sees it's in the warning light uh, above the door. The red alert light. Yeah. And so he uh, pries the light open and pulls out the phaser and he kind of checks it real quick and then he runs out the door. Right across the hall is a disposal chute that says pressure resistant disposal. And he tosses the phaser down there as Spock comes around the corner. Now hold hold on a uh, second. Hold on. (laughs) Is this a garbage disposal chute? What is this thing? I'm guessing since it says disposal. So it's a garbage chute. What kind of pressure type things are you throwing down the disposal. Well, apparently overloading phasers. The the phaser explodes and rocks the whole ship, but apparently no damage was done because of the pressure-resistant disposal. Shoot. <laughs> right. And when the so, when the phaser explodes, you see Spock and Kirk are yeah. thrown to one side of the hall. So the next thing we see is uh, Kirk goes to visit Caridian. And uh, we really haven't seen Caridian since the beginning of the show. Right. He goes into his room and Caridian says he'd hoped that the captain would have respected his privacy. Kirk quickly explains about the explosion and Riley being poisoned. And Kirk asks point blank. Are you caught us? Do you believe that I am? I do. Then I am Kodos, if it pleases you to believe so. I'm an actor. I play many parts. Kirk says, uh, what were you 20 years ago? And Caridian says, younger, much younger. 
Kirk gives him something to read and tells him to read it into the communicator on the wall. He says the test is infallible and will tell if his voice matches the records of Kodos. Caridian starts reading and it quickly kind of lowers the piece of paper and just is reading this whole thing from memory. It's all about, you know, sending people to death and the famine. It was the edict that Kodos actually read before executing people on Tarsus IV. Exactly. Yeah, Kirk says he wrote those lines down from his memory and uh, says, you know, you didn't even look at the paper. Caridian says, I learned my lines quickly. He then launches into this whole comment about technology. He says, here you stand, the perfect symbol of our technical society, mechanized, electronicized, and not very human. You've done away with humanity the striving of man to achieve greatness through his own resources. Critian argues that Kodos did something 20 years ago that could have made him a hero had things been slightly different. He says Kodos killed 4,000 people. That's so 4,000 others could live. As they press on, Caridian says he is tired and does not fear death. And when he's done, he asks Kirk if he has gotten everything he wanted. And Kirk says, if I had you might not walk out of this room alive. Yeah, so that part was interesting to me, Dana. What Kirk is saying is he would not put Caridian through a trial. He would just kill him. I mean, I I, I can't see that really happening. Well, I think that's why it's his inner desire. We all have those types of things we want to act on, but we don't because we know better. Just as Kirk's about to leave, Lenore enters. And she has a great line. She says, there's a stain of cruelty on your shining armor. Lenore says, Kirk could have spared him, meaning her father, and her. And then she says that she was just a tool to get close to her father. Kirk says uh, that maybe in the beginning, but later he wanted something more than that. And then she makes another reference comparing him to the ship. She says, you are like your ship, powerful and not human. There is no mercy. And Kirk responds, if he is Kodos, then I've shown him more mercy than he deserves. McCoy is stating that Riley is able to return to duty, and the captain has ordered him to stay in sickbay to prevent contact with Caridian, who might be Kodos, the man who murdered the lieutenant's family. So there we really see, Dana, what the impact on Riley is, right? It's not just that he saw Kodos, but that Kodos murdered his entire family. Exactly. And you can see the look on Riley's face as just disbelief and shock. And hate. Yeah. So uh, they're going to start the performance of Hamlet. Back in uh, Kirk's quarters, Kirk and Spock are comparing the voice pattern and printouts, uh, which I thought is interesting that they have them on paper instead of on the computer. Right. Spock says we have a match, but Kirk says not an exact match. We're dealing with a person's life here. No machine can make that decision. Kirk already said this is an infallible test and I'm doing this so that, you know, we can know once and for all. And then he says, I can't trust the machine. McCoy is on his way to the performance. And as he's walking through sick bay, he goes into where Riley should be and Riley's not there. So McCoy calls Kirk and informs him and lets him know that Riley could have overheard him. Kirk gets a call from security that the weapons locker has been broken into and one of the phasers is missing. Kirk puts out a security two alert and states that Riley may be armed and is probably heading towards the ship's theater. The next scene, uh, we are watching the performance of Hamlet as Kirk comes backstage looking for Riley. And uh, we see Riley with the phaser sneaking up on Caridian. Now, Dana, when Kirk, Kirk, now, Dana, when Kirk is walking backstage, everyone in the audience would be able to see him like sneaking around backstage. It was just not really good. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was uh, only like a couple curtains hanging there and that wouldn't have concealed Kirk from anybody. Yeah. Somehow Riley and Kirk were invisible to everybody. Apparently. Kirk tries to stop Riley and Riley says he knows that voice and he knows that face. Kirk kind of says, this is not what you want to do. And he comes up slowly and he takes the phaser away and tells Riley to go back to sickbay. Caridian comes off stage and he looks terribly upset and when Lenore approaches him he says there was a voice from his past that is torturing him this is a part that he played long ago Lenore says after tonight's performance the two who can hurt you will be gone we realize right then as uh, same time Caridian realizes that she's the one that's been killing everybody Caridian says do you see what you've done and he says more blood on my hands which harkens back to the beginning of the play to Shakespeare line about will all of Neptune's great oceans wash this blood clean from my hands takes us right back where we started and we see that Kirk is just off stage listening Caridian says you were the one thing left in my life untouched by what I have done Lenora says you're safe now father no one can touch you not even Captain Kirk of course Kirk steps forward at that point and says the play is over in her whole crazy state Lenora says the play must go on and Kirk calls security as the security guard steps up Lenora grabs his phaser and runs out onto the stage Kirk follows her out on the stage and says you'll never get off this ship. Really? Do you even have to say that? You're in space. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, it's not like you can run over, you know, hop in a car and get over to the next town or get across the border to Mexico. She just, she looks totally crazy now. Her eyes are just staring kind of like a mad person. Kirk advances slowly on her and she warns that she knows how to use the phaser. She yells out, uh, Caesar, beware the Ides of March. And just that point, uh, Caridian uh, yells, no and steps in front of Kirk just as she fires. And so Caridian takes the phaser shot. And then Kirk races forward and takes the phaser from her as she realizes what she's done. She gets down next to her father and uh, she quotes more Shakespeare. So the final scene on the bridge, uh, McCoy gives Kirk his medical report and says that uh, Lenore has no memory of what happened. She even thinks her father is still alive, giving giving performances before cheering crowds. And Kirk's just kind of staring off. And McCoy says, you really cared for her. And Kirk doesn't respond. And then he gives an order to get underway. McCoy says, you haven't answered my question. And Kirk kind of glances at him and then says, ahead, warp factor one. And then McCoy says, that's an answer. And that's really how the show ends. So we get the idea that Kirk had feelings for her and more than just wanting to use her to get to her father. So Dana, in this episode, there are some dilemmas that are presented to us and presented to the crew of the Enterprise that need to be dealt with. And so one that I really saw come out pretty clearly is the question of, is forgiveness possible, especially in such horrific circumstances as is described in the show? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, it's something I thought about throughout the show. The idea that Caridian, because for so long you weren't sure if Caridian was really the, the Kodos. At some points I was thinking, you know, I hope he's not. You know, with such a, a terrible, heinous crime, we've seen massacres in our own lives. It's difficult for me to forgive those people that did, and it didn't even affect me immediately. It wasn't my family that was hurt or killed, but I still feel much anger towards people that do those types of things. So I, I don't know if there is forgiveness for murdering 4,000 people. Is justice, is our justice system about reform? Is it about vengeance? I mean, I, I find it really difficult to kind of parse those things out. My logical mind wants wants to say people can change. If they go into the judicial system, maybe they can be reformed. But on the other hand, I don't know if that's true. I, I just have a real hard time with that. 
So, Dana, let's talk about some of the best parts and worst parts that we saw in the show. What was one of the best parts that you saw? The use of Shakespeare's plays uh, that actually kind of echo the story itself. It's such a great tie-in, the way they did it with the whole story. One of my best parts was that Kodos, the name Kodos, was actually used by Matt Groening in The Simpsons. His aliens that he depicted in The Simpsons were both named Kodos and Kang. Both of those names come from Star Trek. Kodos from this episode and Kang is a Klingon from a future episode. How about another best part for you, Dana? Oh, that's easy. The uh, conversation between Spock and McCoy. The other best part for me, Dana, was the reveal that we get that Lenore is the killer. How about a worst part for you? Kirk does the infallible test but later says it's not perfect. One of the worst parts for me was Kirk lurking behind back stage and no one's seeing him. I mean, come on. Everyone would have seen that guy. So Dana, this show aired on December 8th, 1966. What else was going on in the world? Beach Boys, Good Vibrations was number one in the US charts. That is crazy, Dana. We hear that song every, the beginning of every summer. That song gets played on yeah. the radio. And it's a great song. Uh, a Man for All Seasons was number one at the box office, and that deals with uh, Henry VIII's uh, December 8th, 1966, the singer Sinead O'Connor was I got to say, I really liked Sinead O'Connor. I know that she had the controversy on Saturday Night Live. She tore up the picture of the Pope, I believe, but I always liked her music. Yeah, I thought she had a great voice and uh, don't know what she's up to these days. All right. I think, Dana, we are probably to our counts section of the show. So let's get on with that. How about the dead crewman count? None. Riley, almost. Yeah. So no one. Dana, we are stuck at 19. It's been four weeks, maybe more, since anyone's died. Just doesn't seem like Star Trek. No, it does not. How about the shirtless Kirk Ripshirt Kirk count? I did not see Captain Kirk without a shirt. Any point, didn't see his shirt get ripped. He didn't even have a, an opportunity to get into a scuffle. No, zero. So we're stuck at seven, Dana. Really disappointing. How about the he's dead count? It's supposed to be said by McCoy, and he didn't say it. A Kirk did say it, right? But McCoy didn't. So by the official rule, Dana of the Damage Gym podcast, uh, that's zero. So we are stuck at three. And then finally, the I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Yeah, I thought there was a couple of places in here since we saw a lot of McCoy and Spock talking, but uh, never was said. Nothing happened. So we're at still stuck at one. So Dana, there's some news this week that relates to Star Trek and some of the actors in Star Trek, isn't there? Yeah, a lock of DeForest Kelly's hair is going to be sent into space, so it's DNA. And then uh, some of Uhura's ashes, uh, Nichelle Nichols, uh, her ashes will be sent into space. So Dana, what do we got next week? Oh, this is a great one. Balance of Terror. Hey, once again, I've had a great time talking about Star Trek and uh, hanging out with you for this. Again, Dan, it's it's always fun. I learn something new every time we do this. And someday we're going to get that uh, train on the rails and keep it there. I'll see you next week. All right. Well, as always, live long and prosper. Take care. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We would love to hear from you. Please send an email to dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com. You can also join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. The links are in the show description. Make sure to join us next week for Balance of Terror. For Dana and Dan, have a great week. And as always, live long and prosper. Prosper.